0: Welcome to the Digital Infrastructure Fund podcast. This is the one where we talk to recipients of the Digital Infrastructure Fund, both past and present. Today, we have Caroline Sinders joining us from London. Caroline is the founder of Communication Design and Research. She is also a lecturer at the London College of Communication in their data visualization master's program. She has done a lot of things in her past and worked with many influential and awesome people. I'm looking at her bio now and if I were trying to read all these out, I would be here all day. So instead I think we're going to focus on the grant title. So the grants that she was given in the first cohort or that she applied for and got funding for was what can the history of JavaScript teach us about techniques to mitigate harassment, a marriage to diversity and a threat to the sustainability of digital infrastructure projects in open source communities. Very long grant title, but I really love the content, Caroline. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. All right, so that was a lot of talking. Can you tell us how you got to the position where this grant sounded like a good idea? What's the context?
1: I'm an artist and researcher, and a lot of the research work I do is on online gender-based violence, as well as community health and toxicity. So I look a lot at digital communities and or communities using technology. What are the norms of those communities? And then what are the different kinds of harms that exist within the community itself? So how do you think of what a healthy community is and how do you also think about toxicity? And what are the steps to mitigate that? So I then look at what are the norms a community has around responding to toxicity? If there are any norms, what are mitigation steps? If there are any that they have, and what are the structures they have in terms of looking at and calling out harm, as well as trying to like mitigate that harm And then think of like rehabilitation related to harm. So I tend to sort of take a step back and look at like an entire system. And this means that I'm often researching things across technology platforms, for example, like social media. But as well as, again, like built products, built software where anyone can interact with each other. So, you know, is GitHub social media? To some, it really is, right? Do we traditionally think of it as social media? Perhaps not. Where does Slack fit into that, for example? So I look a lot at those spaces, but then for me to like do research and build contexts, I took a look at communities inside of those spaces as well. And one of the things I look at is breaking down how there are like three different parts of what I call infrastructure that are related to community health. So that's the technical infrastructure, how something is built. So what can you do within that built environment? The code can constrain you in a way, right? So like the ability to post a gift is something that technically has to be encoded in the system the next step we look at is the social infrastructure so with that gift what's the meaning of that to the community that's posting it does it have a specific community value or community meaning so if we look at the far right, for example in particular the united states american far right, right there are certain kinds of like meme signifiers if you will or visual signifiers that mean something very particular to that audience but that's not the only case we can look at fandoms for example and see similar things related to emojis so like Beyonce's fans calling themselves a beehive for example when there is you know a fight if you will between Kanye West and Taylor Swift a lot of people were posting things like snakes etc so like understanding that like those particular visual signifiers, or even words people create have a particular meaning to a TV. That's the social infrastructure. Then we get into like the political infrastructure, which is the policy infrastructure. And that's a mixture of policy created by the platform. And then also like any kind of like legal norms in the country this is occurring in, and then also bringing in like a level of human rights policy. So like looking at where does the policy of the platform or of wherever this conversation is being hosted? What's their policy? How is that matching up to like human rights policy? And then also, is there a level of policy created within the organization itself? So that could be like a code of combat or a series of norms that maybe are not written down, but are taught through engaging with the community. So people knowing what like is allowed and is not allowed. And I'm putting that in quotes, like quote is allowed and not allowed. And so all those levels are intersecting with each other. So this is to say, I find communities really interesting. And then I myself participate in open source communities. I was on the anti harassment team at the Wikimedia Foundation. I spent a lot of my free time in the privacy and security world in different hacker spaces or sort of looking at community norms, but also participating myself as like a member of those spaces. And then I also attend different kinds of open source technology meetups and just different technology meetups. That's kind of like the background of how I was looking at this sort of space. Then in terms of like practicality, how to with the question, I regularly attend a variety of meetups related to JavaScript called the JS comps and like the JS meetups that are affiliated with some of those organizations. And I just noticed that there was a lot of diversity in these meetings as well as some structure to respond to harm. And I was really curious as to, one, why that was in this space. And then, two, what are the best practices within that? Could that be applied to other communities? And this idea, I started thinking about this in 2015. By 2018, when I was at the Wikimedia Foundation, I'd been there for a year and it's ready to leave to start my own lab. It was something that I just had continued to think about. Primarily, in looking at a lot of the toxicity I saw within the Wikimedia community, which is a very toxic community. And also, my experiences from engaging with different kinds of hacker events, like going to CCC in Germany, it's Chaos Computer Congress, just sort of seeing different kinds of pushback to toxicity, either at times communities not wanting to call something toxic or even not wanting to have a code of conduct, or a lot of hesitation and fear around even being able to label harm. And that was different than what I was seeing in these meetups. And so, I decided that maybe someone should study this. And I saw the digital infrastructure call. I'm a big fan of Ford. I regularly look at the different things they fund as well as when they have open calls, and they very rarely do. And so I thought, why not apply <laughs> this idea? And I decided to apply also after reaching out to the funders and asking like, what do you mean by infrastructure? Does social infrastructure count, for example, which yeah, I'm sure to sound like, Technical infrastructure nerds and researchers, I'm sure they're like social infrastructure is not a thing. I think it's a thing. I think it stands up when you think of it as a fabric sort of uniting people, but like often an invisible one. Yeah, so that's the background
0: of this. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was really thorough. Yeah. You talked about. The three different roles of infrastructure for you. I noticed none of them were digital, but I really liked what you mentioned with the technical, the social, and then the political context, right? Yeah. And where things are. That's way too big for me to get a grasp on. So I like that you narrowed it down into just JS, JavaScript. How do we deal with these conferences and what goes on? Now, JSConf is a suite of conferences that happens around the world. It's run your own, but there's a generally a cabal of organizers who all work together to make sure that they're all in the same family.
1: Sort of yes and sort of no. So it is decentralized. And I think that's probably a good way to describe it as like a series of decentralization-based conferences. Now that they cover decentralization in them, some do, but they're really like decentralized. However, to use the JSConf logos and to like call yourself a JSConf, there are a series of steps you have to do effectively to use that logo to engage their IP. And some of those steps are you need to have it you need to have attended like one JS JSConf. Yep. You need to find a JSConf mentor. And actually finding the mentor is like the easiest thing. If you just email another organizer, they will be like, I'll be your mentor. And then you have to have a code of conduct. And like, that's a benefit. Yeah. So like, I would say it's not really a cobble in the sense of like, really anyone can kind of do it. However, to like officially call yourself one, there are like three things you have to do. Those steps, I think, are really important, though, to sort of highlight of how the um, ethos of the conference and even the identity has been able to kind of spread. In my report, I talk about this with the codes of conduct, calling it like a sourdough or a kombucha code of conduct in the sense that like there's an original strain of a kombucha mother or a sourdough strain that is passed around that's this sort of original code of conduct as well as again some of the structure that the conferences have that it's not necessarily written down which is advice on how to run the conference and also again replicating this sort of standardized code of conduct the jsconf code of conduct and that gets slightly iterated nod and that sort of conduct the jsconf code of conduct comes from the geek feminism code of conduct
0: so I was around in the early JavaScript communities. I went to one of the first Node comps. I've been to JS comps all over Europe. It's a really great community from my perspective. For you listeners who don't know, I'm an average Eastern American, like Northeastern white male. And so it's very easy for me to say that I'd fit into tech places. I don't know how it is for other people. Can you explain how you studied it? Did you do personal interviews with people in the community?
1: I did personal interviews with organizers primarily to try to understand or figure out some of their structure if this had the support to have been a larger project i would have then started to interview different attendees from there one of the things i did ask people though was i asked the organizers i asked about like harassment how they responded to it one of the things i actually wanted to figure out more was again the structure of response so i interviewed a variety of different people that sort of fill different roles in relationship to the different kinds of organizations so like i interviewed Organizers like ClearJS, for example, and like Global Diversity CFP Day. And those are things that are like a part of the fabric of this sort of JSConf community, but are not necessarily like big organizers. And then one of the key things is interviewing these sort of smaller weekly meetups because one, they are smaller. They're also, I think, see themselves at times as like advocates of the community in a way. And their organizers sort of cycle through faster in the sense that there's like multiple ones. And so more people can volunteer and like leave, if you will. And the weekly VFS can still function. And so that was also a really great place of getting like really open critique of the JSCom system. This project just fit it into the budget and the time when it was given had to be like scaled back at times. But yeah,
0: that's natural. I mean, I wish I had the time to interview every single person all the time. One of the things I'm curious about is how do you know if a community is healthy, particularly in your seat? Because if you're talking to people about their anti-harassment, then you get to see, well, we've had three incidents this year. And doesn't that shape your level of understanding how healthy a community is? Like, how do you know? How do you decide?
1: I think for me, from my own research, and this is something that wasn't necessarily in the report, but perhaps something I should write a blog post about, is The amount of incidents is one thing, but I think it's thinking about the severity of the incidents and also how well your community responds to different kinds of diversity when presented with it. And so what I mean by that is, is your community open to like non-technical talks, for example, are they open to talks primarily about like justice for intersectionality? How well do they like respond to those talks? If there's like a safe space in your event, which is something JS Coffee you did, which was just for BIPOC individuals is your community supportive of them that, for example? Do you think about accessibility? Do you have any kind of accessibility measures for attendees? I think those are things that sort of paves a way for a healthier community. But then I would say that the downsides, well, even with all those things, there are no downsides to having them. But that doesn't mean you have a community that can handle, for example, conversations about microaggressions. It means you're really open to having those conversations. It doesn't mean microaggressions don't happen. And so one of the things that came out of like the research, and this was really echoed by interviews like Kim Creighton, was like, you need response. You need training to implement a code of conduct. And you need that kind of like constant training. And that was one of the things the research should pull out is that people are not necessarily trained to implement a code of conduct. They have a code of conduct. They try to respond the best way they can. That doesn't necessarily mean it's like the right way. One of the things I noticed, and I don't think this is in the report, was that Sometimes when a community like wants to do well, there is like a slight hesitation because they don't know how to do well. This is something that came up when I was working with a local Wikimedia group in New York where it's like, we really want to make a safe space. You want to have a code of conduct. How do we know if we're doing this correctly or when if we make a mistake? And the thing around it is mistakes are going to happen. You just have to have clear dialogue and you have to remain calm and you have to admit fault when there is fault. If you mishandle something, You need to like acknowledge that, but you also need to like not make assumptions. It's this really delicate balance because, on some hand, if you're dealing with certain reports that are coming from a place we could argue like racial violence, you need to handle that with a lot of sensitivity. That being said, if someone's coming to you and talking to you about sexual assault, you need to make sure that the language you're using doesn't reflect that you don't believe the victim, because that can be extremely triggering. So, like you're trying to balance intaking things. As well as also not trying to inflame a situation that may be coming out of like oppression, for example, e.g., like racial bias. So it's a very delicate balance. That being said, one of the ways I again think of measuring toxicity is how amenable is the entire community as well as the organizers to having these conversations? How often or how frequently do the organizers update or change their code of conduct to respond to or to mitigate harm? JSON BU every year, for example, kind of come back after their events and say when we learn what are suggestions for next year. So like they were constantly iterating to improve, for example. Another thing people need to think about, Liam, very literally too, is like what are the barriers to engaging with this community? That's something Brooklyn JS thought a lot about. They wanted like technical talks as well as non-technical talks. It was really important for them to have talks where you talked about ceilings, for example, that's what one of the organizers said. It's really important that they have talks. They're like, related to bigger problems in technology they were like if you're coming here just for like five or six technical js talks there's like a thousand other meetups you can go to that's not necessarily our entire jam and i think that is something that's really important to think about that's something i saw really across different events was again this kind of like diversity of talk and also recognizing a diversity of speakers And then also I think what is an extension of like thinking about healthy community is how much work are the organizers or key members willing to do to help bring on new people? Again, like we can turn to Brooklyn JS where like the organizers will often tweet, we are using GitHub, but if you need help submitting a talk, we will like walk you through how to do it in real time. Like I will get on a call with you. Like I've seen the organizers tweet this, for example, or in other cases, submitting a talk, to the other events they're not using the big conferences they're not using github right they're using like an accessible and streamlined conference portal to like be able to submit something these things that seem really small are really helpful like having tracks that you can apply to to speak at that are on anti-oppression great diversity they're on like racial equity those are also signs that this is something that you care about that can be reflected in the community. And I think these are things that then help emphasize or create a kind of feeding one. Now, still that being said, you still have to respond using like anti-oppression measures to harm when it arises. And that's a hard thing again, because a lot of organizers are not necessarily trained in implementation.
0: You mentioned Kim Creighton. I've tried to spell her last name and I'm forgetting it. Do you mean the, the woman who says make a scene, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah she's mm. wonderful.
1: Her work is really fantastic. I was able to interview her for this project and I'm just a big fan of the work that she's doing. We also interviewed Jen Schiffer, which was really fantastic for this project. I was also able to interview different open source maintainers with like the Wikimedia Foundation and Mozilla early on in the middle of the project. I held... A convening was like members from Simply Secure, from NYC Resistor, from Baby Castles. So other organizations that think about like open source ethos and also have like a technical community and are dealing with codes of conduct. And then we had representatives from the School for Poetic Computation. And so it was really important as certain point to present these findings to people that were in a related community. In terms of testing, like, are these resonating with you? Are these things that are important? I had thought about holding a convening just with the different organizers, but I first wanted to ensure that these findings made sense and spoke to other people. And then also, could they be translated into suggestions? That was part of the research project. So a lot of this was like embedded, it's not as easy of things what people were doing. And the second part was like, can this be useful to other people? And so the first answer and the second part ended up being like, yes, this is really useful. And this is really interesting. It was helpful to see what people are thinking of. Um, the report's been centered around like quantity people. Now that it's been published, I know that like one of the head technologists at Human Race Watch found it extremely helpful. I'm not sure in the context of which they're using it, but they were like, this is really amazing. This is exactly what I was looking for. So I do feel like it's added to the literature on codes of conduct. And community health, primarily because there's just not a lot of resources that are publicly available on codes of conduct and the problems community face once they have a code of conduct and steps or guides towards how do you implement. It. There are like some books, for example, Valerie Aurora has a book on how to implement a code of conduct. It's a little difficult to find. You to, like it's like linked off her website, however, but you know there isn't like a plethora of advice out there and so part of this project was also trying to deal with that of understanding if there's knowledge loss because like knowledge isn't captured necessarily like frequently with these organizers they're running an event they have other jobs they're running this event and they're preparing for next year and then they one on staff for them to sit down and say what is our structure how do we learn how do we like gear up for the next one and so that's part of what this project my project was also trying to do was like actually write down these structures that may seem ad hoc but they're not they're like learned structures they're held in the community held with the organizers and that they deserve to be written down and preserved
0: i'm feeling a a lot of thanks for this work because (laughs) for me i mean brooklyn js as an example was one of the the Meetups I went to when I lived in Brooklyn that helped me feel like I was involved and I was yeah. a developer and, and I was cool.
1: This product exists because of Brooklyn JS, because that's like the same for me. And so when I was like attending Brooklyn JS and then I moved to SF and I went to like Waffle JS and then moved yep. to Brooklyn, I went to Berlin JS. I, yep. It made me feel like a part of a community. And then I realized for me, How different that was in comparison at times to going to more strict privacy and security VDAPs. And I was like, why is the vibe different, but a little similar? And then more importantly, when I started like poking at how organizers run events, that's when I also realized the care and the way that the JS comms are handled is very different than other technical events. That is kind of the background of this project was to look at is this hypothesis I have correct or is it just like my own rose colored glasses and also interviewed digital communities that exist around these different kinds of things. So like there are specific secret Slack channels, for example, that are for like women and marginalized groups in tech that are around or within these JSConf meetups. And so I interviewed like those groups as well. And cause I thought it was important to get a sense of like what they've noticed, what are suggestions. So it is like this is very much about the Janus comps. And then it is also like not at times. So There's like some adjacent events I attended. But I was also just trying to get a sense, again, of what is community health. And then are there findings from these events? Are they good? In the sense of like, are these useful things to be giving other people? And then also how do I present these and sort of write them down? Because they have not necessarily been presented
0: before. So one of my questions is JavaScript has matured as community. It's grown. It's no longer just a bunch of cool hackers. I can't know everyone in the community anymore. And there was a time when I felt like I kind of sort of did, you know, I knew who was doing what. I also know that some communities have taken the learnings from JavaScript and gone on to build other inclusive communities elsewhere, such as Rust. But Rust is also a new community or was a couple of years when I last checked in. And so it's much easier to carry along these things. Now that JavaScript is much more corporate that node.js has much more like larger influence from yeah. very large companies. It's not just no Jitsu being the evil person anymore. I'm curious what you think the takeaways are for large corporate events or for corporate open source. Do you feel like it's, it makes it much harder to say, implement anti harassment techniques or to deal with code of conduct violations. Does it change anything at all? And would you change your report towards a more mature ecosystem?
1: I mean, I would say like this is a problem every community has, regardless of size. The rest community also has problems with harassment and problems with implementation of codes of conduct. I'm not an ethnographer of rest, so I probably can't speak to that. I just see harassment or toxicity pop up. I think one of the things that's important to think about, though, shifting back to corporate responsibility is I would say we have to emphasize more strongly that this is something they take seriously because they have. Budget to take it seriously and if there's budget to hire an open source developer maintainer for your team and to hold an event, you need to create budget for harassment mitigation. You need an anti-harassment team. Your attendees, you have a responsibility for their safety, and whether it's a two hundred person event or a five thousand person event or a twenty thousand person event, this is something you need to take seriously and scale up accordingly. So if you have a 20,000 person event, that better be like a 50 to 100 person team. If you have a 5,000 person event, you're going to need like, I would say, 20 to 50 people. And you need to like structure it in a way that makes sense again towards your event. Even if it's on Twitch, then you need like a series of moderators that are staggered with different times. You need to organize who's in charge of what. So for example, if you have a small event, you need at least two people. If something happens, you need one person to be able to respond. And another person to like either help take notes. And this is in addition to the person running the event. So like the anti-harassment person cannot necessarily be the MC of the event because then it's really noticeable if something happens and the MC isn't there, Like they've left. One of the things that's really important is to also make sure that there is some discretion when you're talking to the variety of people involved in an action, right? It's also important that you separate people and interview them separately. It's also important that you have a space if someone feels uncomfortable that they can go and sit in that's private that is not accessible to like the rest of the conference, so to speak. All these things are really important. They're not things you can just decide to do later. They're things you have to have. And you also need like a practice way to approach someone. And you also need to figure out the different ways you're approaching someone or talking. To them. And this is where this dot by Eva How. The accountability ladder is really important. So this dot sort of broke down the ladder of accountability into different parts. The ladder of accountability is thinking about, or I think they may call the ladder of consequence. It's like different levels of harm and how you're going to respond to them, and where rehabilitation fits into that. The first level could be someone maybe maybe an inappropriate joke. The level of inappropriateness matters, and you have to determine that for your community. So like. Someone makes you a joke like it's so easy, even my girlfriend can do it. Technically, breaks the JSConf code of conduct. That doesn't mean that you should interrupt that person's talk and like shame them and pull them off. You can wait until they're done with the talk, until people are done talking with them, casually pull them aside and be like, hey, generally, really good talk. Just want to highlight something for you real quick. You actually broke our code of conduct. I'm not sure you knew that. It's fine. Let's just chat about it real fast. And then what you should then do is like write it down. Like write down and say, like, oh, Richard gave a talk and made this kind of joke. We may want to be aware the next time we like allow them to have a talk, or maybe we should not accept their next talk, but then the one after is five. But you write it down because then if it happens again, maybe they move it to a different stage of a liar of accountability because you already talked to the even though the harm technically hasn't increased in severity. They are repeating the harm. One of the things I was researching when I was at the Wikimedia Foundation was a related harassment, was time, frequency, and location. So, like, location is where is them harassment happening within the space? So, is it in Wikimedia, in Wikimedia Commons? There's many different areas you can go to, right? So, like, within the Wikimedia Project. So, is it on English language Wikipedia? It's on Wikimedia Commons. It's on Village Pump. Those are like three different locations, so like, knowing where harassment's happening. Then, if it's inside English Wikipedia, is it on someone's personal page? Is it like an editing work? Are they on the talk page? Right. You have to outline where it's happening, time, like when is something happening? What's the timeline? Frequency? How often is it happening? Then another thing in that, then related to this, is severity. So, like someone making a misogynistic joke five times after you've told them to stop and repeatedly told them to stop, actually rises in severity because you've kept saying these are the boundaries and it's being crossed over again and again so you have to consider these things you can't just look at like the events as individual constants you have to look at them all together and then you have to also recognize too that like smaller instances are things you have to respond to because it shows people the norms your norms and your values so this accountability louder is super important and something internally all groups need to do. They need to sit down and say, like, what do we loop into the first stage? What goes into the second stage? What goes into the third stage? What goes into the fourth stage? What are we going to do? Think about recidivism. What kind of punishment is there? What kind of rehabilitation is there? So in the example I gave earlier, pulling someone aside and telling them how they broke the code of conduct is like, that form of rehabilitation in a way. You're telling them explicitly what was broken and like why it wasn't appropriate. Maybe the punishment there isn't seen at first, but like I would say that that person probably feels a little bit of shame for having broken the rules and that in and of itself is a form of a punishment. Or how do you think about it? Well, you're writing it down. You're writing it down in a document that no one else has access to except the other people on the harassment team and maybe one of the core organizers. And that's it, you know, and then you see again. And so there's all these different things. Stage four, for example, for your community, maybe there is no rehabilitation. For other communities that are engaging with restorative or transformative justice, there's a form of rehabilitation. For some people, if you hit stage four or step four, maybe it's like immediate dismissal. If you're out of the community. There's no need to come back. For other people, it may be you are not allowed to engage with us for a year. We're going to revisit this. And here are the things we need you to be doing in that time. You need to be in therapy, for example. But again, this is where I'm saying like, that is up to the community to determine. It was important for me when I was doing this project not to necessarily say this is what you should do because I'm not a part of your community. I don't know the norms of your community. I know the values of your community. And I do want to say I think it's important for communities to determine this. That being said, some communities are really white and really male. And they may be like, everything's fine. And I'd be like, that's not appropriate. A lot of this is context-driven. I think it's a balance between understanding your community and centering the most marginalized in your community so it's safe for all. Because when you design for the most vulnerable, you make the safest kinds of experiences. And it's really important that we do that. And one thing I'll say, a lot of groups haven't sat down and done the accountability ladder. Doing the accountability ladder also guides you towards how you're going to mitigate harassment because it's helping you define your responses to different kinds of harm. And it gets your whole organization on the same page because you are determining what are the different kinds of harm that could pop up and what you are going to do. And having that clarity is really key. So we have similar responses. If you don't have that kind of clarity, even on the anti harassment team, those two members or those five members of those 10 members of your team may be responding in different ways because they're going based off of what they think should happen. And you need like the unified response.
0: Thank you. That's really useful. I'm definitely going to take a look at the accountability ladder later. I hadn't heard of that, although I've implemented or seen implemented various stages of that. The reason I asked around corporate open source, just to go back to it, is because infrastructure doesn't just apply to small hacker communities. Infrastructure means all of it. And so you mentioned the three types of infrastructure that you look at, social, technical, political, which is great. But going forward, I see a lot of the point of this fund is to understand what does it mean for the world that we depend upon tech spaces. We depend okay. upon tech and what does it mean for the communities they're in. So I guess instead of asking what is digital infrastructure, I feel like that isn't as useful a question. What I'm more curious about for you is where do you see your work going to help understand how we can build all of our technical infrastructure better off?
1: I don't know where it's going. I have thought about reapplying to the grant the next time it's open. I need to make sure it's something that works though. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is just in my hands-off approach, I see like big platforms that host communities take. So this is not necessarily Facebook, but this is more like GitHub, Discord, Twitch, and Slack. So recognizing that these are like organizing tools that people use and that while there are trust and safety teams who work for those companies, it's again, much more run by the community. And what I see is sort of, Actually, at times, not enough support or understanding, but not enough enforced norms. Now, I think this is something worth looking at and thinking about. How do you try to scale harm mitigation? And I want to acknowledge that those groups I just mentioned are in a very different and difficult place than per se Twitter or Facebook, primarily because so many different people use their tools in a different kind of open and closed ways in which that extend beyond the company being able to like invest each project. But also like it's a design of their systems to say like, and these are choices they make that I think have negative and positive consequences to say like, well, it really is on the community to try to engage with this. Like we do have some of our own rules, but like the community does have to respond to this. It's something I've heard GitHub say. This is something also that's very clear on Slack. But I think that there's something worth exploring there of, well, what does accountability look like? And could there be further measures taken by these kinds of groups that are not like overly prescriptive, if you will, that are somewhat scalable? And maybe the answer is actually there needs to be better infrastructure for moderation. I know that Twitch has that. But then also an emphasis somehow on there being moderation tied to understanding community norms again that falls off into the community to do that's something that those platforms can't can't in quotes can't necessarily handle trading those community organizers and again this is something i think we've seen also at reddit which reddit also does this kind of dance as well where like the person that starts the subreddit is the one kind of in charge of it they have some moderation tools but there are some like general rules you have to follow but then again it does come down much more like, individual case-by-case case level in terms of the harm within that community. And I think that's just flips the way we like right now tend to think of treaty norms and content moderation online, right? This is like a different kind of slipping. So in terms of how to scale it, it's interesting to think about how the platforms can incentivize you and then how do they not incentivize. But then also it does really come down to the corporate group that's running this and a lot of them, again, don't necessarily seem to invest in community management. They will hire some, like I do, there are some roles at Google, at Microsoft, used to be at Mozilla, where like it was someone's role to engage with the community. And that role often became like an ad hoc role, or not an ad hoc role, but a role of like doing trust and safety, community outreach, advocacy, education, et cetera. And I think there needs to be an intentionality in these roles of maybe hiring an additional role where it's like, yeah, we're going to bring in an open source researcher that's going to work with a variety of our different groups and our maintainers, but that person actually is primarily focusing on trusted safety. And then we have to build a team around that. And that's something where, like, perhaps that's happening internally. I've not seen that happen. So, someone, please let me know if your company is doing this in a corporate way. I would love to know especially if you have open source maintainers on your team. But that's not that kind of thing they're talking about. I have not seen. We see this a little bit in the Wikimedia world with like admins. um, Some editors that are now to become administrators who then handle some of the harassment mitigation. That's a whole other thing we can get into later The Wikimedia world. It's a very different structure because it's entirely volunteer based.
0: I wish we could get into stuff later. I have a lot more questions to talk to ask. I want to talk about decentralized communities, which may be the future of the web. And I want to talk about how we deal with infrastructure at large when we have, say, governments getting involved with funding our technical well, infrastructure.
1: Maybe we should co-write a grant or something.
0: <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. I think my job is more, I think, to focus on talking to other people these days. But I definitely am interested in this topic and would like to hear more. For those of you who would like to hear more about Caroline's work, she is available at CarolineCinders.com. That's S-I-A-D-E-R-S. Also on Twitter at Caroline Cinders, although hopefully not too often because Twitter is a toxic place. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. I really hope that your grant, which again is about the history of JavaScript and what it can teach us about mitigation strategies, does really well for those who want to read the report. We will link it in the show notes. I think that's all we have time for today. Caroline, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It
0: was a really lovely conversation. Likewise.